This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Megan Wildhood, a host on the New Books and Poetry, a part of the New Books Network. I am so excited today to talk to Alyssa Noel Coelho. She is a poet and novelist, dancer and world traveler. Um, She's been passionately immersing herself in cultures worldwide, studying their traditions and transformations through the lens of meaning and purpose for years a lover of novelty and a delighter in the extraordinary. Alyssa uses the power of words and stories to romance humans into falling in love with their precious existence. She reminds us of our wild potential, of our hungry spirits, and of the entire world awaiting our unique gifts. As the founder of Lionheart Creations, which we will talk more about, and co-founder and lead designer at Saved by Story Publishing, She serves messengers and enterprises on a mission to facilitate positive change in the world. She co-hosts the savory storytelling madness of Sips of Story Insanity podcast, showcasing the journeys of other seekers and creators from around the world. And she has just uh, finished the first book in the Lionheart Chronicles. This is the first of we're not sure how many. um, And the second one has been started, though. Uh, this one is called The Alchemy of the Beast. Uh, it's up for pre-order now on Amazon. Launches December 21st. We will be including um, links to uh, that, to all of her work, where you can find all of her um, other creations on socials and all of that uh, in the show notes. And um, we'll be including that uh, at the end of the podcast as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alyssa. Thank you, Megan. I so appreciate that mouthful of an introduction. I'm sorry you had to read that whole bio. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Uh, for for the listeners, you can't tell, um, or maybe you can, how much that makes me smile. That's um, uh, the third time I've read that. First time out loud. Yeah, you, you slayed I, it. That was great. Love it. <laughs> there are a lot of tongue twisters in there. I mean, it's so good. It's so good, though, that um, not only are you a writer, but you um, want to help other writers get their work out as well. And that is, that's just, that just brings me a lot of hope as a writer um, to just see writers championing writers. That's my, that's my favorite. I love it. Um, We are going to dig into all of that and other themes. Um, This is going to be one of those uh, juicy inner healing, self-growth, traveling outward as traveling inward part uh, podcast, um, as most of mine are, as you uh, listeners have probably gotten to know. And so we are just going to jump right in. Um, 
as as you as listeners have have probably gotten used to, I like to uh, pull out nuggets of uh, the work that I read um, because uh, I where I think that they capture certain universal elements of the human experience. And the first one, um, this passage is about belief, and it really really grabbed me. Um, it's a conversation between the main character, Scarlett, and uh, Ramon, who I will let you all, readers, get to know when you get the book. Um, but here is the passage. Scarlett, the main character, the narrator says, I dropped my head and stared into the falling water, my stomach hollowing out. You believe in spirits, Ramon? Do I believe in them? His tone twisted with perplexity. What do you mean? Well, do you believe they exist in the same way you believe in magic? Spirits, souls, ancestors, like your grandfather? He laughed lightly and sincerely, turning his body in his seat to face me. Do you believe you exist? I crunched my neck. What do you mean? Oh, Miss Scarlet, it is not quite a matter of belief. Um, well, I would love to talk about this concept of belief and how how you think about belief, it kind of seems like belief runs through this entire, there's like a lot of plumb lines. One of them is belief. Um, I used to think belief and faith were synonymous and I'm not sure that they are. And this passage kind of was like, oh, this captures something that it's not quite a matter of belief. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on what what is belief? Is that a question we can even answer? And how does how do our beliefs anchor us, whether we're aware of them or not? Wow. Well, I have to say that's quite an experience. Uh, hearing someone read this work back to me, like this work specific. I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone read my poetry or passages back to me, but this specifically, uh, it's so great for me to hear what stands out for other people. And I'm so glad that you mentioned this first. And I'm I'm really glad because. Um, the foreword of the book was written by Joel McCarroll, and he specifically pointed out this theme too. And mm. as you probably saw, there are tons of themes in this book. This is not, you know, Paulo Coelho's simple stripped, the alchemist, so straightforward and profound. This is so dynamic, right? Because um, life is dynamic. And like you said in, in your intro, uh, about the human experience and trying to capture all the different elements. That's the goal of this series, right? Because it's never like, obviously this first book is, is wrapped heavily around grief, but it's never just grief. Like who is going along their lives and they lose someone and the rest of their lives aren't affected because of that grief, you know? Right. So there are all these other parts of it. And so, yeah, the first one uh, that I think is huge is is belief so uh to answer <laughs> i wish there was a simple answer to your question ah. but <laughs> but I, I think joel mccarroll spoke to it really well in the forward when he said that um you have to and i, I love that he primed the readers like this because it's this it's this rite of passage this departure from the world that we grew up in the world that we knew to the unknown and we can we can go about it uh you know, unconsciously, which most of us do, you know, most of us get to college and then we're like, wait, what, <laughs> what was about, what was all this, you know, world out yes. here? So, um, I had, I had a similar experience. I grew up in, in a Christian home. It wasn't, 
wasn't culty, wasn't dogmatic. It was just very simple. And if we wanted to go to church, we could. And we were we were taught the love of Jesus and we were taught the love of God and we were given the experiences with that type of light and energy. And so I grew up knowing it, but then there came, and then when I was 16 years old, there came the time for me to sort of dive in myself. And I started uh, going to healing ministries and going to book like uh, Bible groups and book studies. And uh, it, I finally was having my own spiritual experience for myself. And so that was a necessary part. And then I got to college and uh, my first year of college, I started taking some multicultural studies courses and I just fell in love with them. And I was never really taught much about other religions or about other ways of life or uh, belief systems. So, you know, the first thing you see is like you, your brain goes to try to like draw congruencies to everything that you know before. And then you start to question further and then you start to ask all these whys and then life happens. And um, my dad's illness set in around that time. And my um, sister miscarried around that time. Mm -hmm. And I lost a best friend around that time. And so all these little things started happening. And all the while in the background, I was having this spiritual crisis of questioning everything that like, you know, those were the pillars that I used to cope with all the other things in my life. So I had this crazy unraveling that year. <laughs> and so that was kind of what led me to the to the first book. And that might be a long winded question uh, answer to your to your question about belief. But that's kind of the history behind what came into that conversation with Scarlett and Ramon with like, well, what is belief, right? And what is magic? Because he's, he's dropping this word magic. And she was grown, you know, she had grown up, but obviously Scarlett's based heavily on my own experience. And so she's raised in a church where like, there's all this shadow around the word magic. And what do you mean by that? And so all of the questioning around around belief and 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 this is really funny because um, through my own sort of spiritual journey over the years, I have reached I've I've gotten very quiet with asking that what is the truth type of question with belief, like you said, faith and belief being synonymous and so much unraveling had to go around that. And then when I started learning more, I realized that I realized when I started learning more and traveling and talking to people and asking questions that there was this, I watched when people would say, I believe like these walls shoot up and in all sorts of, in all sorts of ways, it was like the second that the, I believe statement came in to play parts of people would just check out or cut off. And I, and as someone who was taught mostly by my father growing up to always stay a student, you know, just in life, always stay a student, always humble yourself. It, it keeps you humble. It keeps you open-minded. It keeps you willing to learn, willing to grow. And so that, that, that was like this major driving theme for me, especially. And as I was trying to get through this spiritual unraveling, because what else do you have, but to ask a million questions and to read a ton of books that are <laughs> continuing to just prolong this awful process. So, um, yeah, I realized that, that, when people started saying, I believe as a statement, it, it shut down a part of them that I never wanted to shut down for myself. And so when I started having 
these experiences around magic and spirituality and a lot of what Scarlet experiences in the book, I realized that um, it wasn't a matter of belief and faith isn't really a matter of belief and that we, those words have been so intertwined in the church for so long that we don't know how to differentiate them, you know? And so I always, I always laugh um, on the inside because it's rude to laugh on the outside sometimes. <laughs> I always laugh on the inside when people ask me, oh, so do you, do you believe in God? Do you, um, you know, like, it's just this, this not complex question at all you know and um I always now respond for for two reasons one because of everything I just said and two because over the years the answer to that question has become very intimate to me and very personal and so it's not something I just like filleting open for everyone to see because I respect it for other people as a very intimate thing your beliefs about existence that's it that I'm I'm not judging that like I have the own my own my own world to deal with so, um, yeah, my response to that is always that it's always this topic around I believe. And I believe firmly, as I say in the Dear Reader in the book, that that uh, we have to be very careful when we use the words I believe, because I think that the important part is to stay open and to stay um, receptive to all of all of the magic of the human experience and, and to not shut ourselves down to any of it. And our words, as you know, as a writer, as a poet, as a human, our words have so much power to do those things. So sorry, that was such a long-winded answer. That is exactly why I asked the questions I ask. Um, I'm hoping for the story. That's, um, that's one of the things that I, I, I love because we, we can tell somebody something or we can tell somebody a story and, Mm -hmm. I remember the lessons I've learned from stories much more gently and openly than I do from being told. Yeah. yeah. And-, and that was such an important thing for me with this book. So I've obviously worked with messengers and authors and writers for years, and most of them are writers of, of memoirs or like self-development books and things like that. And I've sort of career-wise been raised in this industry, and I've also picked up and grown a little bit of a distaste for the way certain things are done in the self-development industry. So as I went into this, what was really important to me was not to be speaking at people. I don't want to talk at you. I don't want to teach you that, like, because I bought a plane ticket and went to threw myself in the jungle that other people need to do that in fact I highly recommend not to do that there are other (laughs) safer better more enjoyable places with less critters to do that so um yeah it's it's it, it was really important for me to preserve the experience and to bring people along with with me and that's why I chose to do it in first person because it was like hey this is where I brought my confused, broken self and where I took the steps and followed the synchronicities that that brought me to a deeper opening and understanding of things. And the themes that are wrestled with in this book are universal to the human experience. So I was confident in doing that, that it would speak to everyone where they were at and not talk at them at any certain point, you know? Absolutely. And that actually touched on one of my questions. What 
there you've touched on three. Uh, well, I want to talk about traveling and how it provokes self-growth or not, <laughs> um, <laughs> as it were. And then um, the autobiographical nature of this book, and uh, which you have also touched on. But I want to jump in at this point about grief, because it's very clear mm. that this book is about about grief and not in not in a heavy way. Um, there's so much playfulness and dancing, literally and figuratively in this book. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, my listeners will be familiar with the various ways that grief comes through. The people who write about grief seem to find me and I seem to find them. And so I, uh, this is, it just comes up. It's, it's a universal, you're right. It's a universal experience, even as it has particulars, like, even if it's, you know, like I haven't lost either of my parents yet. And yet I could feel what Scarlett was feeling because of a loss of another type of deeply yep. close relationship. And I think it's because of, they say, um, in writing that, um, the more particular, the more universal. And so mm -hmm. there's this passage, uh, I want to talk about grief in general, and then mm -hmm. also as it relates to self-care, because that is a new theme that has not quite come up in, I mean, it's, it's not that it hasn't come up, it's that I have not pulled on it in other uh, interviews, but it, it seems to keep coming up. This, this is the question that wants to be asked now is like, how does grief relate to self-care? So the passage is, um, it goes, we hold all sorts of stories in our bodies, stories that become pains that often we can't figure out how to free ourselves from. Sometimes when you actually get a taste of death yourself, you realize it's a form of freedom from those stories and pains. Um, so this is uh, Scarlet or Scar, main character, um, talking. She's realizing how she's like neglected her body in the wake of this huge grief. Um, and I won't, I won't spoil it for the readers. Um, so, but it's also, uh, there's this interesting juxtaposition of, she has this very touching moment, like with herself and like apologizing to her body for neglecting it and not caring for it, kind of beating it up. Um, not intentionally, but we do that, right? We unconsciously go through life and we just expect our bodies to always be there. Um, and then, you know, she has this uh, experience where a lot of pain is provoked and she realizes like, oh my gosh, I've, I've really, I've really let you down body. You've done so much for me. And you know, where have I been for you? Um, those are my words for that. Um, but then also there's this idea of we can be imprisoned. Like our bodies can imprison us in our stories as well. Um, and so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on like, uh, how body stores, like trauma and then how it, how self-care and grief relate to these kind of ideas that seem opposite, but if we dig deeper, probably are not <laughs> between self-care and like, oh, the body can actually encapsulate stories in ways that we, we would actually rather be free from. Yeah. Well, bravo on how you're navigating, uh, <laughs> talking about this without spoiling anything i'm thoroughly impressed um so yeah that's a very a very important point and i think that i tried to do that a lot with the mirroring imagery through throughout the book like every there's a flashback where scarlet's looking in the mirror and she realizes how sunken in her cheeks are and how her jeans are hanging on her hip bones and like she just 
never really, she just hadn't paid attention to everyone's comments about her weight or about how she wasn't caring for herself because she just lost the most important thing. What, what else matters, you know? And so, um, I, I'm aware that other people experience grief earlier in life when they're kids and they lose a dog or they lose a grandma or, you know, things like that. And so those are like, not awesome opportunities, but those are opportunities to teach kids how to sort of deal with grief and mitigate the, the consequences of it. It's self-care wise or mentally and physically growing up. I didn't have that. So I made it to 21 having not experienced any grief. Yay for me, except the second it was on my doorstep was with the most important person in my life that I had been closest with my whole life. And so I, and at the time it was maybe three years after that spiritual unraveling had started and I didn't find my answers in three years, <laughs> you know, like I, I didn't find my, co I found some better coping mechanisms to help me through things, but nothing substantial enough after like walking away from and unraveling a God that had been with you your whole life. Mm -hmm. So I had zero, zero self-care and what actually sent me onto that journey like I I'd spent three months throwing things in my room and just doing things completely outside of my little type a goody two shoes, straight a student personality. And, um, it wasn't until I took myself out of, again, uh, this will touch on the theme of why I think traveling is so important for healing and transformation, because I, I sort of, I, I, I got Dan Moman's book. It's super, it, I, I was so resistant against it. And then like three days after I read it, I ordered all his other books and I bought a plane ticket to his uh, retreat in Costa Rica. <laughs> and so that was like the catalyst for the experience that I had there. And it wasn't until I got myself out of my ordinary life where I was just working every day and trying to act like this huge thing didn't just happen in my life while I'm asking all these questions like what's the purpose of life and where do people go after they die and all of these things that we're not taught to work through you know yeah so that's you know obviously why I think why I think traveling is is so important and then remind me remind me your question that got me on this <laughs> no worries um and really the questions all blend together but about yes Grief and self-care. Yeah. So get to Costa Rica. And um, it was such a visceral sensory experience for me, probably because I was so adrenalized with having travel, like be traveling for my first time in a different country alone and being quite scared and wondering, you know, where I'm going and what I'm doing. And it wasn't until I started really paying attention to all the sensory things that I realized like, oh, shoot, I lost a lot of weight. Oh, shoot. I haven't actually felt hunger in my stomach or like tears in my eyes, you know? And so it's getting back in touch with all those sensory parts of ourselves. And that's just with a trauma that hits you really big on a level where you're like consciously aware of when it's happening, right? Like this broke my world so hard that I, I was at full attention with it, but that's not to say that, you know, flashback years later when Scarlett has the dance incident and all that trauma that she never thought of growing up is stuck in her body and stored in a certain memory. And and so those little traumas that happen when we're younger and as we even as we get older and we don't pay much attention to it, 
like yeah i do i do think that they stay there and until there something happens or they're activated again and it's usually a, a giant trauma that is like the the cherry on the the um the needle on the haystack yeah. the needle on the camel's back whatever right. metaphor that is straw that broke the, the camel's back the yeah, cherry yeah. broke the camel's haystack <laughs> yes yep that one <laughs> uh it's usually not until something like that happens that shatters everything else and you realize all these other things you've been ignoring for so long. So yeah, this was definitely an experience of uh, conscious, becoming conscious of those things and and sort of a mind opening of different ways to become aware of them, to treat them, to start talking to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Would you say, so for the catalyst for um for scarlet and this um this reads it reads autobiographical it does read like fiction but it does also read very autobiographically although i have to say that most writing is autobiographical whether it's fiction nonfiction, or otherwise in my experience um i can't remember which writer i read said when somebody asked him oh are it which character uh did you base off of yourself in his novel and he said mm. what do you mean all of them mm -hmm. and and he's like, and that wasn't a conscious choice. That just happens. Um, and I see that. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true for every writer, but I feel like in my own writing, that kind of pops up like, oh yeah, that thing that I don't like about that character, it's because I don't like it in myself. Or like, oh, I really like that about that character because I really like that about myself. Um, <laughs> but this this seemed like to, a pretty intentional choice to uh, yeah. sort of, based on a true story, your like to fictionalize your uh, mm -hmm. experience. And I, so, um, and as, so I, I'm trying to be careful not to, to exchange Scarlet and you, because this is- Yeah, I, I mess it up all the time because there are parts of things that happen that are absolutely fictionalized. But right. Obviously there are things that had very well did happen that, that were worked in there. So we are, we're interchangeable. <laughs> yes. I, and I, I love that. Cause it feels like I, I kind of get to talk to Scarlett. And so I want to ask uh, you and, or if you have a different answer for Scarlett, what mm -hmm. is, what was the impetus for the Costa Rica adventure? Was it like, Oh, I want to heal or was it, this guy's books grabbed me. I must have more. Like how, how conscious was the need for healing at that point? You know, I was, I was so hijacked at the, and I think this is totally um, Scarlet too, obviously, because it's based on it, but um, I was so hijacked by the grief and so um, desperate for something like mm. I had, sort of out of body watched myself right because I definitely wasn't grounded and in my body I was raging I was confused I was not eating I was I was not you know not in my right mind so I was sort of out of body watching myself go through the 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 rage and go through the confusion and go through the denial and go through all these things and then when you try to piece it together in your mind, okay, well, the last step is acceptance, right? So how, how does that happen? Because I cannot fathom a world where I exist without this person. So there was this like, that was it. That was this mental block. And 
when anyone would try to help or talk through it, I was just like, no, there's, I'm not accepting this. So I didn't know what was next. I didn't, I couldn't fathom anything that would get me over that hump. And um, when I got those books and when I read it through and I researched more and I saw that there was a retreat, something in me knew this was my right next step. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I would come home by having found acceptance. (laughs) I was just so desperate for a right next step. And that was, that was it for me. Yeah. To circle back to the, the traveling, traveling outward is traveling inward. Yeah. And that's why I included actually as the first quote in the book, Dan Millman's um, quote about the path appearing beneath your feet. Like you just step and you follow the path as it appears beneath your feet. And it was kind of something that's accomplished with the whole magic map that Scarlet falls into Scarlet's hands every, that's super irritating, right? Because you're like, (laughs) right. Oh, totally. As a type A person myself, I was like, oh man, I would torch that map. (laughs) Like, And that's the point. Yeah. That's the point is traveling can be a mirror to our our greatest triggers, which I love that you uh, said this, that they can, or what you said triggered this for me. Triggers can actually be opportunities for deeper healing if Mm -hmm. we accept the trigger. Like, oh, this thing is actually making me angry instead of like, nope, I'm going to sit here and continue to behave and meet society's expectations, which there are times and places for that, of course. Um, But to then go back and be and say, right, um, not everybody is triggered by this. So what is there for me to learn? And I love the I love the the uh, super infuriating magic map (laughs) Um, (laughs) because it's to me, it's just it just grabbed me as an image of how we look at life when we're really wanting control. Mm-hmm. What we, like, we, and we can't see yeah you know like how and how how many other places is this applicable where you look at your life you look at your career or your relationships or these things and you're like I just can't see what this looks like at any certain point but you have to make a decision you have to keep choosing you have to keep making moves you know right and it so was there's so... this, this trust element with it that's that she's wrestling with the whole time and and you see it with um I don't want to give too much away, but one thing that I worked in later was, and this was a very real experience. We could talk about, like, I firstly had the experience in Costa Rica, right, for that week, but then four or five years later when I was writing the book, I went back to Costa Rica and stayed there for three months to um, do the research, like, because the manuscript is written, I need to do all the world building because, you know, I vaguely remember what it was like then, but I traveled up and down the Pacific coast and then down the Caribbean coast to kind of coast to do some research. So, um, wow. Oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't mention that before, but well, no wonder you're dropped in as the reader. Yeah. I was like, it is human in my room right now. Like what? <laughs> but it is not human in my like it that yeah no wonder I I've never been to Costa Rica and I kind of oh. feel like I have been there now oh well good yeah. that's you know there are a lot of places I encourage people to travel but Costa Rica would be in under certain uh, <laughs> niches. 
but there was this element after my next trip there of of my fight with nature um i for some reason thought it was a brilliant idea i'm gonna go throw myself an hour into the jungle to do the research for three months uh not my brightest move but there was this element of me wrestling with nature the whole time and so when i brought it into the writing it turned into this at the beginning she's getting slapped in the face by certain animals <laughs> like she's having hummingbirds come flying at her from what angle like so she's trying to figure out where to go and everything feels like a freaking fight because there isn't this element around trust and that sort of relationship with the divine with the map maker with whoever's putting her in all of these synchronistic situations and then by the end of the book you know she's following one of the leaders and one of the guides who why are the trees moving for him? And why are the vines moving for him? And why did the stone just appear out of the mud, you know? So there's this experience of ease that comes as she develops trust throughout the throughout the book. Uh, that that is so true, isn't it? That when there when there is no trust, everything is a fight. Everything. That's is a incredible. Fight. I mean, that's that is so I, I would think that would be a universal experience too, but in a way that I hadn't really realized. Like, um, and it's the way that you get trust isn't by winning the fight. It's <laughs> by not fighting. Or by knowing the outcome. That's that's not right. how you make the journey more enjoyable. Right. But we not, think so. Right. That's why <laughs> that's why you keep looking at the map. Like, okay, but how do I get from here to, oh, wait, this is a different map than the one I looked at yesterday. So now I can't even pick, I can't even find out where I am, let alone where I want to go now. The whole thing's changed. That was a brilliant, like, picture of, like, word picture of life, especially awesome. for people who relate to the uh, type A, follow the rules, goody two shoes. I am one of those people as well. Um, typically, uh, oldest children. Um, or people who have siblings much, much older, so they are functionally oldest children. Uh, like, well, we're just taught to be responsible. We just have to know the things. We just have to, you should mm -hmm. know better. All of it. And it's uh, this whole letting go of control is how we gain whatever control we little humans can have. Right. Anyway. Yeah, that, that whole control thing, that doesn't fly when you're traveling often. So it's, that was also- <laughs> Yeah, no, that became quite the therapy for me in my personal journey because I had grown up so like this, but I had this little passion for like, oh, someday I want to go to, you know, Spain and someday I want to go to these other areas. But um, once you actually start doing those things and making those moves, you know, it's it's traveling is not it's not simple. And I wonder how the heck people did it before they could have their boarding passes on their cell phones and Google Maps and phone numbers available to them. I have no idea. It blows my mind. I mean, I I did that and I don't know how I survived, honestly. Yeah, you don't remember. <laughs> no, I probably blocked it out. It was so traumatic. Like, <laughs> I traveled Europe by myself. Before oh, my I, gosh. Before I had a cell phone that worked yep. in Europe. And it was like it was was not the jungle. Um, but I will say that I accidentally went to Germany when I was trying to go to Zurich. So that happened. Um, Zurich is in Switzerland. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's not, it, it's not close to the place I <laughs> in Germany at all. My goal was to get around the perimeter of Switzerland on public transit, because that's a cool thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
no, that's really not what happened. So, and I couldn't warn anybody. I didn't have a cell, nothing. There was like, people like, what do we do before the internet? I was like, well, even when we did have the internet, there was a time where it only worked in the country you're from. And if you went somewhere else, like you were just, or could have been user error. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe in 2009 there, I could have had a cell phone that worked in Europe, but I was also 23 and I thought it would be awesome to travel by myself in Europe. And that's actually why this whole travel thing kind of grabbed me because I related to the, um, the impulse to be like, cool, we're just going to go in the jungle. I don't know what's going on, but I can't do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, well, and I think there was this element in the grief of nothing worse can happen to me because I cared about that person more than I cared about my own well-being clearly because of where the self-care had come to at that point. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, screw it. What, what bad can happen? And there was a lot of fight with my family around everyone, but my mom will come back to that. But there was a lot of fight around this. Like, what are you doing? You've never traveled. You are not in the right state of mind. You're grieving. You're going to the jungle. Like, what are you doing? How are you getting places? And so, but fortunately my mom, and, and as that's kind of reflected in the book with Scarlett and the relationship with her mom is this sort of, um, she always trusted me. I think even when she worried for me, she trusted me more than I did more than other people did or more than I did myself at times, you know, and I think that it's important. I'm fortunate enough to have a mom who was always like my rock and my cheerleader in that way, because she was confident in the, in the values and in the person she had sort of created me to be. So that's why she's kind of, she's kind of the voice throughout. That's always like Scarlett, remember, like, remember who you are, you can do this, you know? Yes. Yes. Loved that. I love that there's, this grounding presence, even as also in parts of the book, you do see Scarlett's mom in flashbacks, um, also experiencing grief. But I love that that, for me, my experience of that was that just made her more real and more believable. And that made her even more solid. Like, yes, she can have the deep feelings and she can express them. And she's still, like, I think- I quote a lot of people. There was this, somebody who said, it doesn't take a profit to see dirt. It takes a profit to see gold. And mm-hmm. anybody can see dirt. Um, and so that's what I felt like was uh, Scarlett's mom was, was like, mm-hmm. I believe in the person that I know you're becoming, even if yeah. you're not at that point yet, because you and and you slash Scarlett uh, were, were going, that's what you were looking for without maybe even totally realizing that that's, kind of where that's what the search was about is what it there has to be something on the other side of this because this is not sustainable um and i'm in danger of projecting here because i also did the whole like yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna go eight thousand miles across the ocean uh where i'm not gonna talk to any of you all for three months (laughs) maybe i'll come back maybe not um after the death of my grandfather and uh which is you know not something that hearing over and over again everybody dies your whole life that doesn't prepare you at all there's nothing there's nothing that prepares you for that and I was yeah I was 22 when he died 23 when I went and I just there was so much of this that I related to like wow you had a very similar experience yeah Yeah. and having to relate to strangers who care about you but you're just like keep out like no what (laughs) why why do you think you can understand anything that's going on um 
And do I even want you to anyway? Uh, because that would make it more real. And actually, no, this didn't just, this couldn't, couldn't possibly have just happened. And also, yes, where, <laughs> uh, I may have picked this up as a quote somewhere, but like, uh, no, I think I, this was my question was if, like, when people die, are they still the same person that they were before? Because I just mm -hmm. couldn't fathom, like, they're gone. Like, that's not. Right that that's not a real i didn't sign up for that i reject that that's not a thing that happens at all to me yeah. so are they still yeah. preserved in some way somewhere please yeah absolutely and i think that um that was also an important uh an important thing that happened for me during that grief and i say important because it was important <laughs> even though it drove me nuts um Obviously, I had sort of walked away from my religious beliefs beforehand. And so there was that constant of cliches of he's oh, he's with Jesus now. And, you know, he's an angel now. And like the things people say to someone whose world just fell apart, like, uh, yeah. it broke, it broke my mind. And that's why there's this really tender moment with Scarlett's brother when she's sitting in bed with him and she asks him you know, similar to your question, my question was, okay, let's just take out all the doctrine for a second. What possibilities are there for what could happen to the person, to the soul, to the, you know, start, start digging a little deeper in the philosophy behind some possibilities of what happens after death. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, it's no easy, no easy feat. And if you're not equipped with awareness <laughs> you know like yeah. it's it's really funny because what you just said about like oh i'm gonna go throw myself on the other side of the ocean and do this for a while and just act like i'm gonna figure out an answer you know i do that as an adult <laughs> but the <laughs> difference <laughs> the difference is i'm aware of what i'm doing now where a conscious choice <laughs> yeah in the past when we're just trying to figure things out and we're not taught to handle things with that type of um, critical thinking and awareness, then, you know, we've put ourselves in some pretty precarious situations, but <laughs> yeah, like dangerous without realizing how, I mean, 23, mm -hmm. physically yep. an adult, emotionally, maybe 14. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sending a high schooler loose in Europe. Not great. Not a great idea. Um, <laughs> but I was 23. I don't even really think I told my parents right away. <laughs> Like, I think I maybe told them when I was in Ireland. I don't know. Yeah. That was also a trip, too, to, for the first time to be like, uh -huh. I can do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No one has to know. No one has to sign off on this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's this element, too, you see, with Scarlett kind yeah. of like her identity has a like unraveled on all fronts. Right. Like this hobby that was supposed to be her career as a dancer just unraveled in the background and she just okay whatever we're working through it I guess we'll pick plan b never dealt with the grief around that her identity is like where she thought her writing career was going whatever and now this biggest like the biggest pillar of her identity has just sort of crumbled and she's trying to figure out what's next and so a crucial you know this is something I learned um as maybe just a few years ago as a dancer. Um, I was practicing with my partner and he kept just hammering me on confidence. And I was like, you know, I will be confident once I learn the steps. 
And he's like, no, 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 no. That's actually not how it works. Confidence is a practice. Confidence is how you learn all the steps. And it, yeah, right. I know. But Um, now as I look at, as I look at how I wrote this book, it's Scarlett she's just taking the steps, right? She's following the path as it appears beneath her feet, not really knowing where to go. But now as an adult, I do that knowing a little more and that I could be able to handle myself in a situation should anything go right. But there is this um, element of taking steps with confidence because you got it. You just got to keep moving. If you're not moving in any direction, you're stagnant. And that's not, that's not, a journey toward healing it's just stagnant it's just stagnation oh that's amazing confidence is how you learn the steps that is brilliant like that that's and that's related to writing at least because I'm thinking back of like okay where where are areas where I've been confident well uh it's it's in writing but it's not because oh I've done it so much I've done it so much it was like no the reason I did it so much is because I had confidence it came first and confidence. I wonder where, what would you say about like where the source of confidence comes from? Is it just a decision? Is it more related to like desire? Is it, uh, is it something that, uh, other others can give you like, where, where does this, everybody wants more confidence. I'm pretty sure like in (laughs) some area, they're like, where can I get this? It's not on Amazon. Where can I find it? It's not on Amazon. (laughs) There's no Amazon in Costa Rica. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. um, No, that's that's a great question. I think that while the answer would be different for everyone um, and different per, you know, situation that you're talking about, circumstance, uh, I am a big believer of free will, of choice and of and that that will be a, a theme prominent in the second book is the theme of choice. Mm. And um, I I do think confidence is a choice. There have been a lot of different seasons of my life where I did not feel confident, whether whatever area it was in, even with people, even with this or with that. But if I didn't choose to move, if I didn't choose to take a step forward, then then you're going nowhere, you know? So I I do, I do think confidence is definitely it's a practice it's a muscle muscles don't just we wake up one day and we're like oh my gosh I feel like I could go run a freaking marathon like no you 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 put your feet to the pavement every single day and that's how you build confidence is by the constant practice of something so and it's the choosing to do it yeah even even maybe it didn't go so well the day before. Maybe you stepped on your partner's feet the whole time you were dancing. Maybe you didn't, like, I feel like it's harder to follow than it is to lead for dancing. That came up in the book too. Like, because it takes a lot of trust. Yeah. To follow. It's so when I'm you're the leader, you're like, I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen next. I know that I'm about to spin her. Like with your, when you're the follow, you're like, all right, every potential little twist, everything, like you, be, uh, you have to trust your lead. Right. Yeah. Without being able to see the next steps. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think dance has definitely been a great mirror for that. And I have found that it's different for me in different seasons. Mm-hmm. Like um, during the season that I needed that I was not very trusting or I was not feeling, you know, I had had my wounds with men and 
like it's really difficult for me to get cozy and close position and to follow your lead when like I don't trust you that mirrored a lot in my dancing and then I had there were seasons where I was a little more confident in that and you know that reflects in your dancing and so uh dance is one of those big it's an ongoing mirror for me I'm always you never go out and have the same experience. Some nights uh, are like super high and some nights I'm like, you know, I struggled so much with this, this or this tonight. And sure enough, some of those themes that come up are probably things that are going on in the other areas of my life too. Yes. Oh, that's so great, isn't it? That like when we talked about triggers as opportunities, uh, life just is so rife with, replete with, mirrors if we choose mm-hmm. to see it that way we could choose to be like wow that night was horrible dancing or it could be like huh i wonder what i might need to work on in right. this other area if this is popping up here then right. or like with with writer's block it's like that's interesting i wonder what this is mirroring like where else might i be blocked or like why is this appearing mm-hmm. now is it and i'm at am i at the part of the story where i'm about to be really vulnerable and that hasn't gone so well in the past so right then what's the choice? I, yes, I love that. I um, also want to talk about, gosh, let's see, there's several huge questions. Um, we've, yeah, we've, I was just thinking of the, um, the mirror was such a big thing with the, um, like that, did you catch on to that being Ayana's gift? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I off. thought that's, I thought that's what was happening. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's quite, quite confusing. A little I was like, uh, is this right? <laughs> yeah. So there is that element of a mirror that, you know, it's a really intimate moment, intimate scene, but it, it's a total mirror element of that confidence of that, like, wait, this is who I was or I'm becoming or some other part of me. And it's speaking to all the wounded parts of it right now, you know? So. Yes. I, I, I feel like, I mean, the whole, it's like the book is like a fractal because it's like the book is, is a mirror and then it's, there are mirrors within it just everywhere, any part. And there are parts that are going to mirror to different readers, which is the brilliance of fiction. Um, And so I wanted to, to talk about the, what, what went into your choice between, because you could have written it as a memoir, but mm. you chose to write it as fiction. And I would love to hear what, what the deciding factors were, like why fiction as opposed to memoir. And it's not that I think memoir is better because if you'd written a memoir, I would have asked the same question. So <laughs> what are, what was the thought process there choosing to fictionalize? So that's, that's a great question. And when I was originally inspired around this book, I had gotten back from Costa Rica and I told my oldest sister, I said, I could write a whole book on that whole week just now. And I had never written fiction. I never, I I was an academic writer. I loved research papers. I love like poetry was this weird thing on the side, but I never expected myself to write fiction. I thought, that is just this whole other area of the brain I could never access. Um, But I had a vision unfold for this book in fiction and then the whole series in fiction. And whoa, what if she's in a different country every single time and dealing with a different tragedy of the human experience that we all have to deal with. And so it kind of originated as um, 
fiction. But when I wrote the first version of the manuscript, it was as a memoir. I wrote the entire story oh. as it happened. And huh. it went through probably five or six heavy revisions of me fictionalizing it. Interesting. And yeah. it was not to provide, because uh, there, there are two ways fictionalizing a true story, more than two ways probably, but two main ways that that can function. It can provide distance for the writer so that they can clearly convey their story and invite the reader in. But it can also provide more room in the story because if it's mm -hmm. fiction, then a whole bunch of stuff can happen that didn't actually happen to for, for the service of the message of the story. And right. with, with nonfiction, it's memoir is, of course, everybody's memory is not gonna be the same. So like a memoir, a memoir of my childhood not going to be the same as my sisters, even though we grew up in the same house. But there are certain things that, you know, you, you have to stick to for nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Whereas with fiction, like you can have things that really happened in there, but mm -hmm. it's you you also have more room. So was it like the more distance or was it the more room kind of thing? Like choosing that's so interesting, choosing to fictionalize what was written as a memoir. That's fascinating. Yeah. So um I think that I had to because I had this really incredible experience that I had gone through and I saw, I experienced all of the magic and the synchronicities in the entire experience. But how do I get from here to fiction? Because the, the idea for the series was fiction. So how do I get from here to, to, fi to ah. fiction when I have never written fiction? I have no idea how. So I was fortunate enough that my oldest sister, Amanda Johnson, she is a book coach. She helps people through the book writing process. And so she told me, write it raw the first time out because one for that, for that purpose, but two, you know, the totality of my healing around that loss did, did not happen in one week in Costa Rica. Right. That was a catalyst for moving forward, but she, in all her wisdom knew that there was a lot of other healing that was going to happen as I started writing this series. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, and I had never done that before. So I didn't have the awareness around what that healing was going to bring up for, for me, what that process was going to bring up for me through the writing. And so um, I was able to kind of dive in, do it raw the first time, write it all out, how it happened. I had my tears. I had my moments through it. And then through my revisions afterwards, I went through and said, what needs to be preserved here? And what can be fictionalized? And where did I feel the magic that maybe it didn't actually happen? And so I was able to kind of go in and um, just keep revamping the piece where I thought that uh, it really needed to transport the reader and where it needed to preserve the, the parts that don't keep me so separate from Scarlet, you know, because like... Scarlet is everyone. It's it's not just me. There are parts of her experience that everyone can resonate with at certain points. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, and there's so many quotes here that um, we won't have time for today, but there is one that I think captures grief really. Mm. I just had to stop and like get out a picture of my grandfather at this moment. I won't, it's an intense moment and I won't spoil it for the readers what, what it is, but you captured something very essential um, about grief here that, and this is I, Scarlet speaking. I wept as time stopped and I wept as time refused to cease. Like that, I haven't really heard anybody capture grief quite that way. 
in the simultaneity mm. of being stuck in a moment and then having also to go forward without and how they are the same. Yep. How, the how same. they can coexist. That yeah. is, uh, I actually have some creepy chills right now because I knew you were going to say that line before you, before you said it. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's this one because that for me was incredibly profound too because there was this... Um, and I think with my poetry, I was able to capture some of some of those those things with uh, the grief process that people it's difficult to articulate sometimes. And there was this in my spiral, this essence of my entire world just stopped, <laughs> you know, so like I'm grieving as like I'm weeping as everything is stopping. And yet outside of that bubble, everything is still going. And how is that happening? how is that happening? <laughs> and how is that okay? And so there was this, th these two worlds were not coexisting. And so isn't it funny, Scarlet ends up in this realm where there are no clocks, and there is no time and seven days is like 20 months, you know? Yeah, it was surprising at the end, because it felt way longer than a week. I okay. love that there was no tracking of time throughout the entire novel. And I didn't even question. I wasn't like, how long is she, how long has she been here? How long, how long have we been doing this? I mean, I knew I was like, okay, there was night and day a, a few times, or was it more? Or have we been here a year? Like it was Yay! completely timeless. And then <laughs> the realization or the statement, oh, it was only seven days. I was just like, <clears throat> like what in the world? Like we found the wormhole because <laughs> yeah. We followed a plane ticket right into the wormhole, didn't right we? Right into the wormhole. Like what? I am so it's so good for me to hear that that was um that was achieved because as a writer that was something that you know you go back through a million times over to make sure that you're hitting all the right points to achieve that that experience and um and there's this this element of time right you have the theme of presence of having to get present through the whole thing how do you do that when time just keeps going so she ends up in this world where time just kind of stops and she's able to be present and i think that uh you know if we can bring a little more of that to our lives <laughs> with awareness then it can help some of these processes sort of facilitate themselves a little faster yeah it and that whole like when you're when time when time stops you get to be present you also have to be present and i think with grief i know for me i want i i want to run from it and back to when my grandfather was alive back to when he had his knee pads on and he was in the middle of the flowers painting petunias i really thought he painted petunias when i was a kid i'm like how did they get the stripes and he told me he painted them and i didn't know he was joking so I realized so great. I was 30. I was 30 years old and I saw painted petunias not in Colorado. And I was like, my grandfather. Oh my God, I have been lied to my whole life. <laughs> my grandfather's been dead for seven years. How did these get here? <laughs> oh my gosh. How yeah. funny. So that was that was neat. Um, but I'm like, I I I I want to do a lot of things, but I don't I don't want to be present in in this moment. This moment is void of my grandfather and every moment after this will be also that no i want to go back i want to go back and when time stops you you're forced you're forced to be present and i it's also a really hard thing to do in writing to stop time as you move the story forward because implicitly 
when you're moving the story forward, time is going forward. And we all know time goes forward anyway. But readers often demand to know mm-hmm. what day is it? How long have we been here? Yep, How many I, I'm one of those. I get frustrated when I'm reading a novel and I'm like, but wait, when did this happen? And in relation to what day? But there yeah. was this real importance to her delusion throughout the whole thing. Like her not being able to have an answer or have a solidarity because it was that essence of trust. And so to get that theme through, I almost had to make it kind of impossible for readers and they needed to feel a little confused and a little overwhelmed and delirious. And there are moments where like she, did she fall asleep or did she pass out by the freaking well? Or yes. like, was she wait, asleep was and was that a dream or was that, did that really happen? And then and I realized like that recurring, I was like, it doesn't, oh. it doesn't matter. It yes. doesn't matter which one it is. It's kind of like what my dad said about about fiction. He said, well, I don't know if it really happened, but I know that it's true. And Mm. like that, people get so hung up on, did it really happen? Did it really happen? Did it really happen? Who knows? Who knows? Because anybody else in in that retreat with Scarlett, they're going to write a completely different book about it if they write a book at all. And they're going to not mention many of the things that, that Scarlett mentioned. And yet it will also still be a universal experience. And right. Who cares if it really happened? Is it true? Mm-hmm. Is it true? One thing that I also thought uh, that was awesome and gave so much true quality, trueness, truth to the experience was the um, that you did not do in in text translations mm. of the non-english um but rather a glossary at the end i thought that was awesome because uh i mean i i understand spanish so i could fo- mostly follow what was going on um or th- i think i can but they mm-hmm. gotta watch out for the false cognates sometimes <laughs> at first i thought it was spanish and then i was like mm. I don't know that word. That's kind of <laughs> um, or like a construction is really strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of vague, like oh, it's was... Italian, <laughs> right? And then it was like, oh, they don't say that in Spanish. What language? The the uh, the mio dio is like mm, that's not close. So... Adios mio, it's really close. It's yeah. so close. But then I was like, oh wait, it's just a little off. So then it was like interesting where even that kind of mirrored an experience for me where I'm going along thinking it's Spanish, thinking I'm understanding what's happening. And then it's like, wait, right. Um, I know enough Spanish to know that this is not. Yeah, no, I'm so, I'm so glad you brought this up because this was obviously something that, um, my team and I just went over multiple times. What do we do here? Because I fought really hard that, you know, people wanted me to simplify the Spanish in some places. And I did have in-text translations at one point. They were like, no, it interrupts the experience. And I was so determined to preserve the experience of a traveler. Like if you, uh, if you speak one language or you, you speak any language and then you go to a country where the language is different, there is this dissonance, there is this uh, confusion, there is this beauty in trying to transcend the language barrier to connect with other people. And it's such an important part of the travel experience. And it's an important part of the culture experience, which obviously there's like, this whole series is kind of designed to really showcase different cultures, different traditions, different languages. 
Yeah. So I'm so, it, it really makes me so happy to hear that that was a good experience for you because there are, there are a lot of parts between that and the time I was like, this is going to go one or two ways. People are either going to get really frustrated right. and put this down, or they're going to push through as, and right. keep an open mind and, and learn that, you know, this is the authentic experience when you yeah. go out to face the world. They're going to get that it's the mirror. It's a mirror of, and it was even, it was interesting when, um, when I was thinking that I was understanding what was happening because I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? Well, <laughs> I was like, this is great. Like, I know Spanish. I'm just going to translate. I don't need the glossary. It's fine. And then even when we got to the Mio Dio, I was like, well, I, I know what that means. Or do I? Like, it's close, but that was the that was the experience that got me to germany rather than zurich was <laughs> the italian was close and it was That's... not close enough because I, <laughs> I was i was in logarno which is the which is in italy and it juts up into switzerland yeah. and i'm like okay i'm looking for the signs for zurich and i see big signs for zurich so i get on the train and i hear in i at that point i didn't understand german um i still don't understand french and italian and i was like Okay, I know Spanish. So listening to the Italian, I'm like, okay, I think I got it. And then I hear something that sounds like broken train. And I'm like, huh, well, if the train was broken, they wouldn't let us get on it. So it's probably like <laughs> one of those weird false cognate things. I'm fine. Right. Um, it's split train. This part goes to Zurich. This part <laughs> goes to Germany. I was on this part. So, and for the listeners, the first half goes to Zurich. The second half goes to Germany. I was on the second half. So it wasn't broken train. It was the train splits. Please be mm -hmm. on the first half if you want to stay in Switzerland. So that um, that was an interesting experience of being like, right. Yeah. I have to be very careful about when I'm sure enough that I think I know what's going on, especially in languages I don't actually speak. Absolutely. Um, and I yeah. love that though, because that, that preserved the disorientation part of the traveling where it's like, you don't have a glossary. If you go to Germany and you speak English, it kind of sounds like German, but mm -hmm. like not enough for you to really know what's happening <laughs> at all, at all. And I loved that. I love that. And I, I do think that in-text translations, inline translations would have been, um, they would have been distracting. And I think they would have spoon fed the reader in a way that wouldn't mm -hmm. have been worth the potential frustration that readers might experience. And that's the thing is it will go one way or the other. That's what I love about these intense, immerse, full immersion stories is um, they're not for everybody, but the people they are for like get so much out of them. And I love that. Like there are parts that are universal, but you have to work for it. And I like books that make you work. I really yeah. like that. And I had to work where I was like, right, <laughs> this is not Spanish. It's also, is it Portuguese? Is it, what is happening? Like this is, uh -huh, yeah. like with, during Costa Rica, it should be Spanish. <laughs> yeah. You know, traveling did a number on the perfectionist in me and it really broke me in, in a way that allowed me to, okay, well, we're here and this is what language we're speaking and we're going to manage connection is how we survive. <laughs> so we're going to manage to figure it out regardless of, you know, what cultural barriers there are here. And once I was able to kind of, you know, subdue her 
<laughs> we I, that's where that's where you're able to experience the the beauty in in other cultures and in other experiences so it was totally uh necessary to create like you said the full fully immersive experience for readers and i'm so glad that you enjoyed that and weren't pissed off <laughs> well, i also think it was helpful too because if i'm like if i really don't understand what's going on i i can choose to interrupt the story and go to the glossary like mm-hmm. that can be in my control as the reader where if i'm like if it feels pretty important that i know every word about this well you mm-hmm. did provide a way so i can take myself out of the story and go to the glossary and i that's also a fine choice um and i i chose i chose not to i chose to read the whole thing even when i was like mm, i'm i'm not 100 percent sure that, that was this, yeah. this is it I'm not sh- and but that's okay because neither was Scarlett like right. there were, you you saw the issue with the salsa she was yes. like I'm not trying to cook what are you talking about <laughs> but all things reveal them all the things that should reveal themselves do reveal themselves in time as oh, you know, in life and and I wanted to preserve that throughout this book that you know some of some of the things like there were a lot of um, and I'm, I'm curious, I, I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but there are some loose ends that were left and yep. the readers who I did have that came to me after, I just feel like you didn't close this loop and you didn't close this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely didn't. Cause this is a series. <laughs> well, but- right, right. Exactly. I was like, oh, well, if it's a series, you have to end it on a cliffhanger. But even if it's not, even if this was a standalone book, I'm still wrapping up uh, loose ends, cliffhangers, whatever, from my travels in Europe, which was in 2009. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't think, like, I, I think it's the same thing with, like, I think William Faulkner said, a piece of writing is never finished. It's either published or abandoned. Like, we don't finish. We don't finish the stories. Um, and that's the thing that pushes back on this perfectionistic, like, thing that we think about life. Like, we well, we have to have a, here's this chapter is done. Now this chapter begins. Now we have this very regimented thing and this challenges all of that. Like, what if you actually don't get answers in life sometimes? Like, what if you just have to live anyway? That's grief too. There's no little bow. Like I smell lilacs. My grandfather, we had this giant, he had this giant lilac bush. My grandparents outside their house. We had to like dodge the bees to get into their house. And Every time, every single time, my grandfather died in 2008. Every time there's lilacs, a smell, a taste, a thing in the air, a picture. Like there's, I just break, I break down sobbing. Mm-hmm. 2023, this was 2008. And so I think that this, it's good to to have loose ends because that's just reality. That's, yeah, that's, that's life. I know that's, um, and, and I actually can't even remember if I intertwined this, this is a fresh read for you. So maybe you can tell me, but there was this, uh, moment that I had with my sister and I spoke about it in my other two books. Um, and it was obviously pivotal to the spiritual experience in this one. There was this moment I had with her where I think I, I want to say I was 18 or 19 years old and I just showed up at her house after work crying and, I, after, you know, all of the lectures and the textbooks, and I was so struggling with this, like, but I need to know the answer. Like, is this God I've known my whole life actually a thing? And he's called by different names. And is it this? And is it that? And I just, I needed an answer. And 
she just held me steady and said, what if there is no answer? Mm. And it stopped me. And I had to, I had to like, let that reality sink in. What if there isn't this golden answer that we're all going to reach by the end of life or not, and then go to a heaven or what if all of that is just creation? It's just story. What if there's no actual answer? What does life look like at that point? If you hit, and that was that ground zero that I was at when I experienced this loss and it was, okay, well, what now? Well, there has to be more to life than these tragedies that are plaguing our existence. What is it? And my answer was buying a plane ticket. I don't know if that's the right answer for everyone else, but you know, (laughs) right. Because I mean, yeah. What if there's no answer? Well, life goes on. So now what? Yeah. And I, I love that, that, that does the book leaves us with the now what in a good way, like, okay. So, you know, she's in something, some things have been sort of wrapped up, but I think um, if you get the point of the story, then it would actually feel cheap to have other things wrapped up. Like everybody who's been through grief knows there's no wrapping up of much of anything. Cause as you said, at the beginning of our interview, uh, what doesn't grief touch? Mm-hmm. Like, um, my, I mean, my, <laughs> my grandfather's yeah. last name was snow. So, uh, that mm-hmm. comes up in the weather. Like that's, so I'm a, I actually am a special snowflake as it turns out, but, um, me and the six other grandkids got, got to be the snowflake, but it even, I mean, there's, it'll show up in unconscious ways. I don't, Love snow, but my the the title of my poetry collection is "Boat." Is I was just gonna snow. say I was like that makes the title of your collection. I didn't do that on so purpose. Oh, of course you didn't. No, I didn't do it on purpose at all. I because it was a line. Usually, you title the collection after the title of a poem, but this was a line mm. that jumped out in a in that came out in a revision of a poem, mm. and it was just like pick me. I'm the title, and I was like, oh cool. I guess I get wow. to surrender my control of that and wow. neat. neat. Yeah, no. And then I dedicated the book to my grandparents and I didn't get the connection. Someone asked me about it. It was like, it was like, wow, that's so sweet of you to like work the title in with the dedication page. And I was like, what? Oh, that's like, oh yeah, I know. Wasn't that brilliant? I that's totally great. chose it consciously. Yeah. <laughs> completely, completely on purpose. That is my favorite thing about mm writing and then talking to readers about it not not like I'm like oh I need all the compliments no I want to know what I put in there that I didn't choose consciously yeah I it that's why hearing you say some of these things I'm like uh I don't really remember even when I went back and the last revision I was like oh Oh, good. I I put that in. I'm so glad that I remember because I feel like I just now learned that lesson in a different way. So I'm so glad that like higher level me yeah. works that in somewhere somehow. But I mean, 360 pages that yeah. have been like heavily revised at least 10 times. You really can't remember all that. I was going through it the other day with my sister because I, I have the print version now. And I was like, you know, I really hope that no one ever asked me to find a particular thing in here because I have absolutely no idea. Yes, <laughs> I, I only ask poets to quote and I, <laughs> because they can find the poem really easily. Because mm-hmm. I, I, at the end of um, my poetry interviews, I say like, would you like to read a poem? 
But with the fiction and the the prose, I'm like, I'm going to just copy it, paste it. So I'll read it for you because my my novel manuscript is 400 pages. And I'm like, OK, I've read it 10 times Yeah. in the last year. I've rewritten it 10 times. I've and I'm now reading what I want to be there. rather than It's actually there. But I don't remember no, I, I definitely don't remember everything I put in there. And I also have that experience too. Like, oh, well, good job me that that was there. <laughs> I don't know how I would have known that 10 years ago, but here we are. Yeah. And there was the this really uh, cute version of me when I started writing. And I thought that I could just keep a note tab of all the running like loops that I was going to have to close at some point or work in at some point. Like, no, girl, that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> cute of you to try but no yeah no we're super super now I totally resonate with earlier when you said that that book took you seven years uh it was it was seven years ago from the inspiration of this one and I was still I was at the university so I was only writing on breaks so I'm five to seven years on this first novel and I will um the second one will absolutely not take me this long I I have already put my accountability buddies in place. <laughs> you better Love slap it. me into getting my stuff together because I will not, I will not take that time on the second one. <laughs> Love it. Well, that leads me to my s- second to last question, which is a question that I ask every guest is there's this saying writing is a solitary act. Do you agree? <laughs> well, I can only answer for myself. And I would absolutely answer that writing is most definitely a solitary act for me. I started writing this book in a retreat model with a cohort. And I'm so glad that I did because I had invaluable experiences from the community that I experienced. But actually on retreat, I got very little writing done. There's this quote. (laughs) That being said, there's this quote from Carl Jung Uh, We're wounded in community and we are healed in community. And you as a writer are very aware of the healing journey that writing can be. And so there is this element of needing community while you work through those narratives and while you work on that healing journey. Um, The actual the actual writing is a very personal spiritual experience for me. Love it. Oh, I love it so much. Final question. Obviously, I could talk to you all day. Um, and also, I uh, would love to have you back on when your second book comes out um, to talk about the uh, continued journey of Scarlet and, by extension, the rest of us. Um, <laughs> is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? Oh, my gosh. No, I I think you nailed all of the main themes. And as I mentioned before, uh, you're the first outsider to of my core team to give me to act to read the book and give me um, as in depth of an interview and feedback as you did. And I am like my heart is so warmed by all of the points that you touch because you know, we have these hopes as writers that the messages that we're pouring our hearts and souls into are going to impact our audience in a certain way. So when we get the feedback that it does, it's it's really, really cup filling. So thank you. Yes. Thank you for getting this story out there. Thank you for being so vulnerable and transparent and generous with your story, for sharing, um, for sharing Scarlet with us and sharing the uh all all of it just the i i i do not want to give this uh the story away because 
it it's important to go along the journey with her um, as she goes through all the things that she's going through and will continue to go through in the Lionheart Chronicles. Um, I am honored to be the first person outside of your core team. And I, I am not going to be the last. I won't be the last. So tell people where they can find the book, where they can find you to uh, stay in touch and uh, get uh, information on when the next one comes out. Okay. Well, the book is up for a pre-order on Amazon until December 21st when it will be released. And uh, you can find more about me and uh, the Lionheart Creations business and the Lionheart Chronicle series at lionheartcreations.org. And feel free to follow me on social media. Uh, my handle is Alyssa Noel Quello. Uh, everywhere. Well, Alyssa Noel Coelho, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I look forward to having you back. And when we get to talk about Scarlet's next adventure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate it. And reader listeners, um, we'll put all of the links uh, that Alyssa just mentioned in the show notes uh, for you to easily find, uh, pre-order the book, uh, follow her on socials, learn more about her um, and her work and learn more about yourself. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.